Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to DHS whistleblower Aaron Stevenson. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and today is Wednesday, August 30th in the year 2023. Patriots, tonight we have an amazing guest, and this is going to be DHS whistleblower Aaron Stevenson. So not only is he the one who revealed the beginning of the entire rabbit hole of the child sex trafficking in DHS, but the other part of this story, which you will love, is the fact that Aaron was an atheist, and through this process of finding the truth, he discovered God. It's a wonderful, it's a great story, it's truly the power of how our, how our Father is working and it's truly an amazing story of, of commitment to what is right and what is true. In a time right now when we have so much of that going on, meaning so much lies and so little truth, we have to be straight focused and supportive of every person out here that has the spine to step up and do what is right in spite of what the state is trying to tell us to do, or even your peers. That's courage, and it's courage at its core. Now, Patriots, one thing right off the front and we have to be aware of is we are in a critical time with psychopaths running the world. I think we can all agree on that. And the big part of this is right now that food is a weapon system. And we just have to look around and see what they're doing with fires. Look at Lahaina. Look at what they've done in Canada. Look what they're doing in Africa. Look what they're doing even here in Oregon right now. And as much as some of the deniers will say, it's just climate change. We know that this is part of a much bigger strategy to try to deny people ultimately the resources that they need to sustain as well as driving people off the land. Patriots, having a, a critical food strategy is essential, and part of that is you have to have emergency food, emergency food systems that are developed by my Patriot supplier, the best. So if you head on over to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com, you're going to find the three-month emergency food kits that discounted $200. It's unprecedented, and they're fantastic systems. It's going to give you whole healthy meals. It's going to give you 2,000 calories a day, great tasting product, and these have a shelf life of 20 to 25 years. They're also easy to port and carry if you need to, if you need to get up and go, which we know happened in Lahaina. So, Patriots, take the time to check this out. Head on over to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. Check out this, what you have there. You need to get one for every member of your family. The three-month emergency food system is the foundation to building a great food plan. And with that, you have those that can go with you, be with you, and, and sustain. It's an investment. And even though these are un, unprecedented times, and let's hope we don't have to use them. That would be the best investment ever. But the fact of the matter is we're seeing what's happening, and we just literally don't know. So, again, go to preparewithbards.com. This is where you'll find the My Patriots Food Supply three-month systems. Take advantage of it and get, get equipped for your entire family. Now, Patriots, before we get going tonight, I want to play something for you which is, I think, essential and at the core of what we're dealing with. And it's the principles of never forget what they did. So I'm not going to forget. I'm not going to forget what 
the government did and didn't do over the last number of years. I'm not going to forget what the police forces in countries all around the world did to their own citizens. The overreach and tyranny that they participated in because they were just following orders. I'm not going to forget any of that. I'm not going to forget children being ripped out of school, being taken away from their friends and shoved into online classes that were not helpful to them, that damaged them emotionally and psychologically, that they in some ways might never come back from. Kids are resilient, but I'm not sure how resilient. I'm not going to forget the fact that friends of mine, that loved ones of mine, lost their jobs and their businesses because they would not follow totalitarian crazy regulations and crazy mandates that didn't change anything, that didn't help anything. I'm not going to forget the fact that because of government oversight, because governments are not tremendously good oftentimes at responding to emergencies, I didn't get to see my family for three years. I still haven't seen my family, and I'm not the only one. I'm not going to forget the fact that people couldn't see their loved ones as they were dying in hospital. They couldn't go to cemeteries, couldn't go to their funerals, couldn't say goodbye. I'm never going to forget any of that. Because if the last number of years has taught us anything, it's that government a lot of the time has no idea what they're doing. And they act without consequence, without repercussion, and you, you are the one who loses out. But they don't care. They don't care and they never will. So I'm not gonna forget. And I hope that you weren't either. We can never forget what, what happened. And this is something I say as we begin tonight's show because Whistleblowers have been the difference between knowing the truth and standing up to the truth and a government that has run roughshod and is unaccountable. And these people have taken enormous risks to do what they're doing. They have walked away from great jobs. They have been blacklisted and, and excoriated by the media. And the whole part about this that is so disgusting is how many people in America side with the media. We saw that with COVIDCon. What we saw was Americans that were lazy, complacent, convenient-driven. I mean, it's, it's a combination of all three. We're willing to just walk lockstep into fear and turn on their fellow neighbor, turn on their fellow family member. And in doing so, empowered an institution of tyranny to a magnitude that we never po thought possible. And once you start to empower tyranny, tyranny has no bounds. Tyranny has no limits of where it will go. And so here we are now with open borders, literally, people flooding in, children disappearing, and there's no accountability. And this is a very sophisticated system. Don't think that this is just haphazard that somehow they're coming across the border. This has a very deeply rooted transportation system of how to move the children, how to obscure the children for visibility when they're moving, how to get them into their own versions of, quote, pedophile safe houses so that they can network them, exploit them, rape them, use them, abuse them, sacrifice them, whatever they're going to do. The, the thing I point out many times, and at the end of the day, that is the core evil of this nation. And when you look at what they did to the people, they didn't do it. They, are, they didn't do it to destroy the children in the normal way. They did it to destroy the parents and the families. And then they went after the kids. Classic. 
in how these people are. These are predators that are running our government. And there is not one person in in D.C. that works in the government that isn't aware of this problem. These people are deeply are deeply aware of the depth of this evil. And they're either complicit in it or worse, they're participative in it. And that's the government that rules us. So whistleblowers take an enormous risk coming out to tell the truth, no matter what that truth is. These are this is a government that empowers tyranny at the local level in the police forces and even in some sheriff's departments. And police officers, unfortunately, many of them are low IQ. And unfortunately, there's not enough of them that have the will and the, and the, and the constitution that comes from serving the nation. Many of these donut eaters out here of police officers, and I'm sorry if this offends you if you are one, but I'm straight up about this. I've seen too much of this over the last few years of police officers that did not follow the process of law and instead followed the process of a gun on a hip and the fact that they had the authority over people. And we've seen it worldwide. So whatever you do and wherever we walk, when we start hearing from, like tonight, whistleblower Aaron Stevenson, keep in mind how much risk they took. We would do them a disservice to want to brush this under the rug and simply say, oh, it's all over. Let's forgive and forget. Never. We need accountability. And, we, and it's the only way we, res, we will restore this nation back to its proper level of being able to get a nation that once again thrives with the principle of we the people. And patriots, one other thing tonight before we get going, it's critical to understand that in this time, you need to keep your skills up. We are looking at a collapse of a system right now, potentially, as we start to see the slow erosion of this Babylonian tower of power is literally starting to collapse. We're seeing the reduction of police forces. We're seeing the increase in crime. Those things aren't going to go away right away. And it's going to require citizens to be able to stand up and do the right thing and protect and defend your home and your property. To do that, you're going to have to maintain your skills. And in a time as well when ammo is expensive and in many precincts in every area where you are, they're trying to restrict your access to those sorts of things. You need the tools to be able to train and to train safely. And the best way to do that is iTarget Pro. Patriots, right now, many Americans are feeling powerless. The economy isn't stable, crime continues to plague our communities, and those in charge don't seem to even care. There's something empowering about knowing that you have the skills to defend yourself, and that's why I endorse iTarget Pro. This revolutionary system allows you to dry fire practice with your actual firearm anytime in the safety and privacy of your home. No more inconvenient trips to the range and you still have a ton of practice ammo. Just download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into your firearm and start your training experience. Improve muscle memory, increase reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and more iTarget Pro comes in all the major calibers, including 223, so that you can stay sharp with almost any firearm. Save 10% plus get free shipping with the offer code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, when you go to iTargetPro.com right now. Again, 10% using your promo code BARDS plus free shipping when you go to iTargetPro.com. Don't rely on the government to make you feel safe. Empower yourself with iTarget Pro. That's the letter I targetpro.com itargetpro.com offer code is bards all right patriots without further ado let's let me introduce to you 
DHS whistleblower Aaron Stevenson. Patriots, I'm really honored today to have truly one of the modern heroes of this fight, and this is Aaron Stevenson. He is a whistleblower for DHS who has brought to light the issues of child sex trafficking, the issues of terrorists being brought across the border, and has had to do something in that sense of being a whistleblower that's the hardest thing ever to do, to do what's right against a system that's telling you to stay quiet and mind your business. It takes a spine, it takes strong belief, and he has a great story on that as well. So really excited to have him on. Welcome to the show, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. Well, let's just start with a little bit about your background. I know you mentioned you kind of discovered a little bit more about your background as you as you were going through because of the our discussion about your last names. Why don't we start there? Of my, uh, my actual heritage? Yes, sir. Yeah, so my last name is Stevenson. Uh, Stephen, S, then S-O-N, Stephen had a son. Um, and so, like most people that are, I'm from the Midwest, so like south suburbs of Chicago. So like everybody else, we're always like half Irish, right? But then we didn't know what the other half was really. So I knew I was part English, but no one knew where the name Stevenson came from. Uh, so my dad's sister, younger sister, my aunt, she started doing research into it and found out that like, oh, it turns out we're actually part Polish. And it was my dad's dad um, that came over from Poland. Or sorry, my I think my dad's dad's dad, whatever it was. But the last name actually would have been uh, Vatninik, um, which if you spell it in English, it's, it looks like Wapianik, but you know, in its native tongue is Vatninik. Um, so that would have been probably a little different life, I guess. <laughs> and just, just so patriots understand, I mean, that, that came up because as you were telling me, S Stevenson, that we got a garbled transmission right then, classic Zoom. And in the process, I literally was like, is that a Slavic name? I couldn't understand it. And that's when this came out. So it's pretty cool. Let's talk a little bit just about your background, just a little bit about where you were, how you got to where you were, where you are. Sure. So, um, I was born in 82. Uh, again, South Suburbs of Chicago. So I was born in Hazelcrest, grew up in a little small town called Pre Illinois. And then uh, that's in like Bull County. So South Cook County, which is the city of Chicago. And then, um, you know, it's moved uh, close to Joliet and finished up seventh through 12th grade. And then um, my summer going into my senior year, I was already committed to like, I'm going to join the army. I'm joining the army. And I went out that night with my girlfriend at the time and like her sister and her date. So it was like a double date type thing, right? And they were older. They were my my, the girl, my girlfriend was my age, but her sister was like twenty three or twenty four, whatever. So they were like the older couple. It was kind of cool. And um, at one point in time, you know, the two girls went up to like use the bathroom or whatever. And so her date asked me, like, you know, all right, dude, you're coming up on graduation, you know, in like ten months. What do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I'm gonna join the army, you know. And he asked me, he's like, well, did you ever think about joining the Marine Corps? And I was like, nah. I'm like, what's what's that? <laughs> I've never heard of it. And he's just like, I right, check it out. I was like, all right. So the next day I called up the recruiter in Joliet and I was just like, Hey, you know, I think I joined the army and this guy said the Marine Corps. So should I check it out? It's like, yeah, come out tomorrow. So I go down there the next day and I'm, I'm wearing like a polo. I treated like a job interview. I have no idea why, but um, I'm in there and I'm sitting down with the recruiter and he's going through all the, uh, he's like tags, which are to do the whole, like, Hey, why do you want to join the Marine Corps? Is it like, you know, the pride of belonging or is it like you get a uniform education benefits, you know, whatever. And like, nothing is grabbing me. I'm just like, I don't know. Like, maybe I shouldn't even do this. I don't, I don't know. And then, um, the gunny walks in the, this, you know, the main guy in charge of the, of the station. And he just, he looks over at us and he booms at me. He's like, you be a fucking Marine or what? And I was just, yes. 
like wow that grabbed me whatever that was like i liked it was very intense and i was just like that that i like that a lot so the next day i went down to meps and entered the delayed entry program and then that was it and then um i was in for it from that point that was august of 2000 i went i went to the dep uh, august 3rd 2000 i went to boot camp july 2001 so i was in boot camp for 9 11. that's a funny story if you want to get into that one and then um I did two enlistments in the Marine Corps. I went to Iraq three times. Um, and I was kind of done at that point. I, I started to see like, you know, like this isn't quite what I was thinking it was going to be. I thought I did enough time to kind of get a good feel on it. And I was at the point where it's, do I make a career or do I get out? And I was like, I think I'm going to get out. I don't really believe in it anymore in that in that way. So I got out and I was trying really hard to become a DHS employee because I really wanted to do the be a federal employee, stay in intelligence. And I liked the idea of doing what I could to still like, you know, basically serve my nation, which I believed in. But I, I would, it would take forever though, because I had no degree at the time. I only had three diplomas in the Marine Corps. It's that not very experienced. So I went and uh, contracted for DOD. So I did um, the biometric program for the National Ground Intelligence Center, NGIC, and Defense Intelligence Agency, DIA. Um, that was down in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I deployed to Afghanistan out of them uh, three times, 2010, 2011, 2012. And then that last appointment, I got a job offer from DHS. And so then I became a federal employee, joined them September of 2012. Um, and I was working in this really small office called US Visit. And we were basically though, like just sitting with CBP, we were doing vetting stuff for CBP. And when the sequester happened in 2013, that, that, uh, that non shutdown shutdown that happened, they already kind of prepped for it. And they were like, okay, we're gonna just basically move you guys over to CBP officially, it saves us money. So then I became a CBP employee. And I was at the National National Targeting Center for Passengers, the NTCP. And our job there was just to, to vet aliens. And we had basically two kinds of aliens. It was Afghans coming in as either refugees, asylees, or the special immigrant visa program. And then Iraqi refugees or asylees, so mostly refugees. And I did that for about 14 months. And within the first like probably six to eight months, I started seeing like, wow, there's like real problems with this program. Like we were letting in a lot of bad guys. And I don't understand immigration law at this point, really. So I'm like arguing with watch officers at CBP, like, dude, like this guy's a fucking terrorist. Like, come on, we can prove it. Here it is, blah, blah. They're like, yeah, but it's all classified. And he's already got status, so we can't do much to him. And I'm just like, I don't get it then, right? So he explains it to me by saying like, you know, once you're in the system, it's like, you're kind of already in. So I was like, oh, okay. So it sounds to me like the problem then really is USCIS. Like I should go there and make a difference. So I've applied to go there. I get a job offer in 2014 in April. And I'm so naive to think that like, I'm going to be the good civil servant. I'm going to serve my country, do it honorably. And then like six months later, I had to realize like, wow, this place sucks just as worse. <laughs> like this is a really bad environment. And then uh, I kind of dropped my pack from about 2016 or so. Um, and I can tell that story if you want to later on, but I kind of dropped my pack and I was like, I'm done. And then 2020 happened and this is the point where I was just like, wow, we are really living a lot of lies right now. And um, that's when I walked away from being an atheist, an atheist. I realized I was wrong. And it took time, but I you know, eventually got baptized in 2022. But that's when I also made my decision, though, like, okay, I can either give this over to my children or not. It's like, there's something going wrong in this country. Like, I got to do something. I got to, I can either make money, give this to my kids and let them deal with it or do what I can right now. And so I chose to do what I can right now. So in February, 2021, I started seeing um, child trafficking stuff, which we can get into later. 
But basically, uh, that summer, I went to Project Veritas and I blew the whistle on child trafficking going on within the unaccompanied alien child program. And then they didn't know who I was yet because I did it like, you know, like anonymously, like in shadows. They changed my voice. All that kind of, I was so scared of that, by the way. Um, they did a great job, though. And then in October of 2021, I saw a rule change getting pushed through um, between US, or sorry, between DHS and DOJ about changing adjudicative authority for defense of asylum. And I was like, what the, f like, you gotta be kidding me. It's like, this is gonna be rubber stamped asylum. And these people can become citizens in like five to six years. Like this is a, this is a bad idea. This should not be happening. And so I went public to Project Veritas, blowing the whistle on it saying like, do not do this. This is a really bad thing. And Texas, by the way, still has it in court. So I'm kind of happy there. Um, and because of that, I went public, they were like, oh yeah, Aaron, like you're done. <laughs> you know, so I got an investigation like right away. Um, and that was that they were investigating me in that time frame. I still had access to a lot of things and I saw how many terrorists they brought in from Kabul during the fall, uh, you know, in August, 2021, that winter I was going through records being like, who they actually bring in. And I'm going through these things. And like, there are literally dozens of actual watches of terrorists. And I, and I was just like, you got to be kidding me. So I went right to Project Veritas. And I was like, hey, they're already going to fire me, so I don't care anymore. Like, this is who they're bringing in. These are a ton of bad guys. And so then they blew that, they, you know, published that story. And then work was like, all right, you're done. Like, go home, stay there. You can't come back in. Like, you're done. I got fired in uh, February this year. And that's that. So let's talk about that process, first of all, of the whistleblower. Sure. You had to make the decision as a whistleblower. I think there's a there's kind of some misunderstanding of whistleblower status, which you're supposed to be protected. And then yet you were fired for, for blowing the whistle. Explain that. Mm -hmm. So to get whistleblower status, you, you basically have to go ask the government for whistleblower status. Like there's a congressional route to do it, blah, blah, blah. And so the reason why I didn't do that, well, first off two reasons, there's like three routes I could have gone. I could have leaked it to the media, which then branches off into establishment or not establishment. But then you have the government route. And the government route basically means OIG or Congress. Okay, OIG. Um, all they would do is take about a year or so, write a report saying exactly what I was telling them, and then nothing changes. That That is the nature of government, though. So it's like you can either be naive enough to believe in them still or, you know, a, a different route. So the other route when it came to, you know, getting official whistleblower protection, we go to Congress. The reason why I didn't go to Congress is because they still haven't done anything about it. And this is known now. So again, I didn't want this to become somebody's fuel for you know, a, a re-election campaign. I didn't want this to become just another hearing on the Hill, which it has so far. Um, and I didn't want it to be just treated in, in some kind of capacity as, oh, it's a political solution, just give, just give us more money and make me in charge of it. It's like, no, that's not the, that's not the case, guys. So I went to the media. So there was two medias I could have gone to, like the you know the establishment side, like Washington Post, CNN, and I named, named those two specifically, or people that I think might actually be doing something about it, which is Project Veritas. So I went, I did do it, by the way, anonymous tip to uh, CNN and WAPO, and I kept that email active. They've still never responded. Veritas, the thing about them is they actually went through everything and all the records, and they did like, a proper journalistic you know, approach to it all. And I actually am really glad for that because turns out, um, like once that story got published in August of 2021, so actually, yeah, about two years ago today or recently, um, Tara Rodas, who was another whistleblower, she was at one of the sites 
of these kids that I was like, you know, talking about like are getting, you know, trafficked. And a friend of hers saw the video and she was like, oh my gosh. So she sent it to Tara, Tara saw it and she reached out to Project Veritas. She was like, I'm seeing the same thing. Like I'm actually seeing what this video talks about. So then they worked together and she did a, a, a different route. She did do the proper whistleblower thing. And then about a year and a few months later, her story went public about how HHS is literally trafficking the children. And that's why I'm glad I did it because if I waited, if I took forever, who knows what would have happened, right? But because I did it this inappropriate way, which the government doesn't trust me anymore, I decided to do it quicker. And I think there was better effect. And that's what I think we're kind of in now is you could have effect or not. I think so. that's well said. And I think that I completely agree. It's time to make the choice. All right, let's dig into a few of these things. We have a lot to cover, but I want to really kind of get into the bullets of those those topics that you blew the whistle on. Mm-hmm. Let's begin with child sex trafficking. What are you seeing? How bad is it? Okay. So I'm seeing it as a, and this is the, the complex thing too. So the child trafficking like economy is actually very, very big. It's not just kids at the border because there's CPS involved and there's domestic you know trafficking. There's international trafficking that doesn't cross our borders. There's all kinds of, the, the child trafficking economy is really, really big. So I'm only seeing it as um, an Intel analyst working at USCIS, which is a part of DHS. And I'm only seeing it by looking at bad guys. So these bad guys are all watchlisted uh, people on what's called the Transnational Organized Crime Watchlist, or the TOC, the TOC watchlist as we call it. And every day, um, I would, because I was part of the program, I was actually one of its members that was on the working group, which saw it basically get built up and created. I wasn't there like pushing policy and framing stuff. They would ask us like questions and whatever. And I was part of the people that represented one of our agencies. And this uh, this working group is what we call a whole government approach. So it's got you know DOJ, DHS, um, state, and others. But even inside there, you've got like FBI and their lawyers. And then you have the terrorist screening center. And for DHS, you got the whole laundry list. So you got like CBP, ICE, USCIS, you know, TSA. Like everyone's there represented, and they're all like whole of government approach to this thing. Everyone get involved, you know, Knights of the Roundtable type. And so. Um, I was very familiar with how it started, its operations, the people on there, the type of encounters you see, um, because every day I would get these encounter emails as they basically happen. It's like a live feed thing. So if an alien who's talk watch listed um, gets encountered, so let's say they're trying to board a flight or they're getting released from prison, they get pulled over by a cop, they give their fingerprints to USCIS for an immigration benefit, we would get notified saying like, hey, Here's the person, this is the guy's name, this is the alien number, this is date of birth, this is where they're at, this is why they're doing it, you know, this is the gang they're in, this is the what the gang does, that kind of stuff. And every day I would see these things, and at first, when this program started in like 2016, it was very, very small. You'd see like a handful of a month, maybe, it was very, very small. And over time, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. So once Trump came into office, he includes MS-13, cartels, 18th Street Gang. And like we start seeing encounters a lot more because we share a southern border. Makes sense. And at this point in time, we're now starting to see like 17, 20 a week, right? So it's like I, I read the data coming in every single day. I'm an analyst. This is what I do. And so in February 2021, Joe Biden's first month of presidency, um, an encounter comes in that says uh, six USC. So it says reason for encounter, colon, and then. 6 USC 279 UAC sponsor. I was like, well, okay, whatever that is. 
keep doing my work, whatever. About a month later, I see another one and it has that same code. I was like, what is that? And so I, you know, copy and paste it. I search it in my, um, uh, in like Google, or whatever. And it comes up with this program that says, you know, unaccompanied alien children. Okay. So six US code 279 unaccompanied children, children sponsor. I'm like, well, what's an unaccompanied child? So I started looking into it. I'm trying to understand a little better. And I was like, but I've seen this thing before. So I checked my inbox and I have all the records and there's only two of them, one in February, 2021, and that one in March. And I was like, that's strange. All right, whatever. April, another one. Okay. So that's three and three months, about one every four weeks. And it's like, okay, that looks like a pattern I was developing. And the reason why that's actually important is this talk watch list is capped at 40,000. So you don't go higher than that. It can't have any more than 40,000 human beings on this talk watch list. So you're an Intel guy, you understand the game. I'm sure you're familiar with the terrorist watch list, right? The, mm -hmm. the what's also called the TSDB terrorist screen database. Yes. That thing has no limit. And that thing has over a million identities of watches people on there. Now, it's really hard to get in the country as a foreign terrorist because you can't just fly in because you have the, the CBP will deboard you in your in that country. Like, nope, you can't even fly inside of here. Don't tell the airline, don't even let them aboard. And it's like, okay, so the only way you can really get here is like basically skirting the system through either like asylum or refugee or some other backwards way or that southern border. Well, the southern border is where these talk gangs cross from, and yet it's capped at 40,000. Well, every month since like February of 2021, we see like almost a quarter million crossings. So a quarter million crossings per month, 40,000 on this watch list, I'm seeing one every four weeks. It's like, yeah, this is probably actually a lot worse than we, than we know it is right now. So I started calling around to other entities of DHS. First, I was internally at work, and I was like, do you guys... Do we do anything with, you know, unaccompanied alien kids? Like, I don't even know what this program is. They were like, no, that's not us, dude. It's like, all right. So I, you know, looked for other people in DHS. And this was uh, CBP, ICE, and an office called INA, which stands for Intelligence and Analysis. And they're like the Intel people for DHS. And they were all just like blank, blank stares, like, no, nope, whatever, dude. I don't know, man. Sorry, bro. And so I reached out to now other entities of the talk working group. So I hit up DOJ, hit up FBI, hit up ERO, hit up just a few other, you know, places where is there EOIR, a few other places where it's like, there's got to be something that someone's looking at this thing, nobody. And so now I'm checking for any just intelligence articles at all. Like, okay, maybe at least we're publishing papers on this saying we're seeing this trend or there's got to be a collection requirement, maybe something, hopefully somebody, nothing. And that's when I was like, okay, this is getting pretty, pretty bad. So now it's May, I see another one. And so now I'm already like sending things to Veritas. I'm like, guys, like this is a thing that's happening. Um, I'm working with a journalist. He's a great dude. And like, he's starting to look at it on his end. They're trying to do their, you know, the whole journalist operation to figure things out. And by the time I sat down with them in July of 2021, there was eight, eight dudes that came over and actually one chick um, that were trying to get children. And these, by the way, here's the strange part. So this is a new development when it comes to the talk working group, right? This We've never seen this, this pattern of behavior before, let alone one instance of it before. And yet, this is happening in 18th Street Gang, MS-13, and a Balkan organized crime organization. The home countries where these people come from, it's happening in El Salvador, Honduras, Romania, and I think Guatemala. So let me so get this like, right. Okay. We're, seeing, we're seeing terrorist people on a terrorist watch list bringing unaccompanied minors as their cover. Is that basically what we're looking at? Uh, 
No, it's a transnational organized crime watch list. Okay. Talk watch list, not not terrorist. Okay. Um, and they're not coming over with the child. What they're doing is these kids are coming over by themselves, and then they're applying to become a sponsor. Then oh, they wow. grab the kid, and that kid's theirs now. It's like full on adoption, but it takes like thirty days with no background checks. Wow. And exactly. And by the way, and I did reach out to HHS. They don't receive these notices. And I've talked with the program and people inside there and case managers. They don't do background checks, which houses this kind of information. So it's like, okay, so not only do we know about it and we're not doing anything, they don't know about it and they're doing nothing at all about it. And it's like, okay, this is a problem then. So again, so in August, they published a story. And by that point in time, like a ninth one came out. So they had to do like a post edit to include the ninth one. And by the time I went public, uh, which was, like I said, it was 15 October, 2021, um, there was 12 sponsors trying to get kids. Now, this is now happening at a faster rate then because instead of one every like four weeks, it's one every like almost three, three and a half weeks. And again, quarter million crossings per month. There's only 40,000 on this watch list. And if you declare it asylum and you're on this watch list, you get bumped off the watch list. And so it's like, okay, we're, we're capturing nothing of this thing. Um, so that's what made me decide to go like, yeah, this is a major problem. This is an urgent problem. It's, this is not going to be handled through the OIG. You're, you're really, this is deeper even than I think, than I think people even realize at a point because you're talking about the ability to navigate a gap in a system in a very sophisticated way. This is like, when we're talking about gaps, it's usually a pretty glaring. This is, this is like a, a thread gap, like between all of this that they've been able to exploit by knowing that there's one organization that's not watching it, another organization that is not paying attention to it. And then with the way you described it, it sounds like they did a probe and then they started to accelerate once they see that the program, that their operation was working. Is that fair? So I would say no doubt they did a probe and accelerated it because that's what gangs do. When, um, when it got learned that you can come off this talk watch list if you, you know, a apply for asylum by defense. Like, oh yeah, I'm being removed from the country. But if I get some, the, the, the defense of asylum process is a major, major problem in this country. And um, once you learn about that, it, it all of a sudden you see it happening in an expanded rate again. So yeah, definitely probe, definitely learned about. And for some other reason, it's like, again, it's happening in a variety of home country origins and it's happening across a variety of different gangs. This is not like a niche market. This is happening without the entire industry of child trafficking. So it definitely, I think, does carry um, some devastating effect of that. Now, the other part, by the way, too, I keep going to say this when I talk to people, is right before I went to Veritas into the interview, which, which is in July of 2021, um, DHS INA, again, the, the actual Intel people, they published this thing called a collection primer on you know international organized crime. Okay, cool. So when it comes to the intelligence cycle, like collections are a really big thing, right? Because the intelligence mission of the United States government is actually very, very structured. It's very organized. It's not just a bunch of spies, right? It's information, you know, collection, exploitation, analysis, and then distribution. And all that also has to the plan. So in this collection primer, they're saying like, hey, this is like what we want to look about at gangs. And when you actually read this thing, and I you know, print it out, you read through it, and nowhere inside there is child trafficking, sex trafficking, whatever, right? It talks about basically guns and drugs. That's like the main things, and there's that kind of uh, industry. And so I even looked up on the PDF. I, I'm doing control find, certain keyword searches, can find nothing at all. And last time I recall going to the uh, 
the meeting, uh, it's called the National Intelligence Party Framework or the NIPF, the NIPF, if you're in the industry. Um, it's not on there at all. It talks about things like, you know, how is it being exploited? How are the gangs utilized immigration system, blah, blah. It talks nothing about how are they trafficking children. And yet they all know all these gangs traffic children. So it's like, okay, it's, it's either we suck really bad, which is totally feasible, or it's also probably by some type of odd design, which I don't understand, which is probably feasible. So personally, I think it's probably a mixture of both. Wow, that's incredible. I guess yeah. the other part that might, you know, kind of racing into thoughts here is there has to be an insider on this that has extreme legal acumen to be able to find those gaps because this isn't just a random hit. I mean, you've targeted a very specific gap within a very complex system that even yourself as an experienced analyst, you're stumbling on and then having to, to backwards engineer it basically. Yeah. And that, that's the funny part because you're right. I wasn't looking for this thing. The only reason why I saw it is because again, I would read these encounter emails every single day, everyone that came in, I'd go through it to be just aware of like, okay, are we seeing more USCIS? Are we seeing more with whatever? And just by chance being like, you know, that's an odd code. And that stuck out to me. That was it. Everything else, though, would have been probably by my, you know, would have went right past me as well. So wow. there there should be somebody. Um, I don't believe that. Having worked and talked with and done the meetings with the uh, the talk working group, they're not bad people there. I'm not going to go as far as to say, like, these are just a bunch of malicious feds. However, uh, some of them are. And those were all the attorneys. So when we were, um, this is during Trump's time too, by the way. So this is now, I think like 2017 to 18, this is before 2019, we were discussing uh, policy when it comes to asylum and their thing was, uh, what did the attorneys say? They were trying to, well, we were trying to first argue like, okay, cool. Take, take the cap off the watch list. Like it's time. Like we're seeing a lot more of these people take it off. And they argued the attorneys for uh, DHS, USCIS and somebody else they were arguing like no no we're just going to keep raising it by ten thousand at a time we're like no they, we're seeing a lot of these people we got to do this and they came to an agreement which was we'll continue to raise it by ten thousand or ten thousand man increments so from ten thousand to twenty twenty to thirty once that gets hit up to forty uh, they were like but we're also going to be setting this policy about defensive asylum so their argument was if you if the person is declaring asylum they have to come off the watch list and we were like, no, because that's going to become a massive loophole. And everyone was saying that. And then they said, yeah, but we have to because, you know, it's a protected class. So if we're sending out these encounters and it's like everyone knows that they're requesting asylum, well, now people that are receiving these emails that we should trust in the government, they should know this person's requesting asylum. And we were, and I remember being in the calls with this on the attorneys. And I even said at one point in time, like, that's a really, really dumb and a bad argument because every single alien that is a refugee has an alien number that starts off like a212 a213 a214 it's not a classified number that like anybody can see that thing it's on the person's alien file itself it's like that alone tells you that they're a refugee that's protected class there's a ton every single a089 alien number is someone that requested asylum I'm like so we can also then like strip those numbers from everybody as well they're like well no I'm like, so why would we try to take them off the watch list? Just because, and they won the argument because they're attorneys, because that's how the state works. That's people understand. Like that's the nefariousness of the actual, you know, the, the deep state of people call it that. So, um, yeah, that, that happened and that sucked, but it's the way it is. No, I, I, and I had tip to you because that's 
great intelligence analyst work. It really is just to identify that thing and to start pursuing that thread. So, I mean, seriously, Aaron, this is great work. And I've been around it enough just to, when you recognize those trends, it's too easy to just kind of brush them off instead of digging and going, okay, there's a question oh, I yeah. got to ask, right? Because there's there no precedent. Right. So right. it's like, well, what boxes this fit in? It's like, it's not even in a box yet. You can, don't put it in a box yet. Like, look at it, investigate it, you know, pull it apart. So, yeah. So you, you, this thing, it sounds like when you started to pursue this thread, it's just a, a bunch of other things erupted as well. I mean, you've, you've already identified this fact that we have terrorists being literally let in. So you not only have the, your gang groups, your, your organized crime, but then you have within that, you have specific terrorists that now are moving in. Are they using the same MO to use children and sponsors? Um, so for, I've actually seen a couple of terrorists, um, that have been either adopting kids or trying to sponsor an unaccompanied child. I don't know what that one's about. Uh, the nature of a talk organization and a terrorist group are two, they're very, very different. Right. But I'm not gonna lie to you. I think that the talk stuff is more of a security threat than the terrorist stuff at this point in time, only because the volume of saturation, there's a lot of gangs and doing a lot of harm to people in America, whether it be murders, drug trading, weapons trading, uh, all sorts of things. There's a extortion. I think there's a way worse impact when it comes to these international gangs than like Al Qaeda right now. I say that again, as in, in this time and space of, you know, August, 2023. Um, so, but no, when it comes to terrorists though, yeah, they, there have been obviously a ton that have come in uh, through the refugee program, despite all the lies that the government has told you that that doesn't happen. They do. Uh, they absolutely come in through the asylum process, but they also do it through chain migration. They do it through, um, uh, you know, like a, a one member of the family gets a certain status and they can bring over other family members under, under certain processes. They come in that way. Um, but what else though? And that was the one obviously, of course, that blew the whistle on, which was the fall of Kabul. That wasn't them getting in. That was, we put them on our aircraft and we flew them in. That's, wow. that's way different. We were the ones that were actually doing the pulling in that process. Again, if you want to say by a mission of vetting, that's fair. And we still let them in. We were the ones that flew them on aircraft into our country. And they made stops, by the way, before our country. They didn't like fly from Kabul to DC. They stopped, you know, in uh Dubai, oh, not Oman, Dubai, um, UAE, um, Qatar, Dubai's in UAE, uh, Qatar. They stopped in, I think Uzbekistan. I know they stopped in Europe, in Italy, Spain, Germany. So there was a lot of vetting that could have been happening that was going on, but they weren't vetting. They were just screening, which is two different, very different things. I'm happy to get into that later if you want to as well. I'd say let's let's finish this a little bit. I just want to go through some of these things, but I want to get into the screening versus vetting. I think it's very important. Yeah. Um, so kind of looking at the things you've blown the whistle on, child sex trafficking, you've got the administration, state, and circumventing rules, terrorism, and then the deep corruption. As you've laid out that story for, and I, I'm just, as I hear you tell the story, is it child sex trafficking? Did all of those other things cascade out of that one root of the child sex trafficking issue? Um, no, that was me, I think, because that was when I, I made my step of like, you know, okay, again, I'm either going to, I'm either going to give this over to my children, give this corrupt system to them and, you know, make money at the process, or I'm going to do the right thing. And in this time frame, so again, 2020, full-blown atheist, up until like about probably like 
July, August, October of that year, I was like, again, like this is, there's a lot of lies going on, like what's going on. And I started walking back towards Christ. Um, my first day back into church, uh, I walked into a Greek Orthodox church was the Sunday after I believe it was a public plea. So before then, uh, and that was again, October, 2021. So I went to Veritas and sat down with them in July, started kind of like believing again, understanding like what's, what's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I, I don't know yet, but I know that God's there. I know that, you know, there is God. I know God's good. And I think once I started, once I did that, it, it became a thing of like, I'm understanding more, I guess, spiritually what's going on in the world. And there's a part in the Bible, I forgot where, where it says, yeah, I'm not like a Bible quoter like that. There's like three that I know. But I know the premises, right? And the arguments sure. that, you know, sure. and the commands that Jesus gave us. And it's basically, if you know something's wrong, but you still do it, that's a sin. And so to me, it was like, you know, yeah, okay, well, child something's wrong. I'm going to blow a whistle on it. Oh, wow, look at that. Our government's lying to us. That's wrong too. I can be quiet or I can say something. Oh, wow, I'm an investigation. And you guys brought in terrorists. Guess what? I'm going to do this one as well. So to me, it's a matter of, again, it's like, we can tell the truth. We can, you know do you know do things that we know are right or wrong or we can shut up and we can let it all unfold for us and i just i don't believe in that well let's do i mean this this thing that you've kind of slid in here a couple times which we talked about before the show and i really it's amazing because you're another great testimony in this fact that here you were as an atheist just doing your job and then something clicks in you to say man there is evil in this world and just go from there yeah. So that was 2020. <laughs> um, so it was just seeing, and that's like, I don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those guys that was like, you know, like Trump said fake news. That's not cool. I know the media's propaganda. I, I've been that way for a long time too. Um, but seeing the lies at the rate that came out at, right. And I'm just seeing it more and more like, you know, I'm on tele, I'm on forced telework and just, you know, going through the media, listening to podcasts throughout the day, walking around my neighborhood in Virginia, just seeing stuff. And I'm like, man, we are really being lied to. There's a lot of just not dishonesty, like lies in the air. Right. And, um, I think the final one for me was, what did they, I think I've got the article. It was either Newsweek or it was, no, sorry, it's two articles. One was Newsweek. One was the Atlantic. The Newsweek one was it's, it talked about the talk watch list of, you know, Trump, Trump's secret watch list is what I know about. And it says there could be a million identities on this thing. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, dude, hold on. If you're talking to a source of the government that's on this program, we can tell you right now how many are on there. And again, like this thing's capped at 40,000. It cannot be more than that by law because of policy set up. So that was the one of them. But the other one was where they claimed that Trump called dead soldiers like suckers and losers. And I was like, you're kidding me. I'm like, this is come. And they sourced somebody within the government saying that. And it was either like, three general officers or two other like senior staff on like DOD probably. And I was just like, I'm done. Like, this is just disgusting. Um, and that's when I started to do the ideas of like, you know, okay, if there's a lot of lies going on in the world, I need to start finding out what's true or not. So I did the, you know, I'm an analyst, right? Okay. Let's find out what's true then. So, you know, who am I? What am I? Where am I? When am I? You know, all those things. Right. And as I'm going through things, um, you know, some, some are pretty easy. I'm a father. I'm, I'm this, I'm that, whatever. But then I get to the point where it's like, I'm an atheist. I'm like, all right, well, am I an atheist? Like, what is atheism? And I'm starting going through things. And I just kind of came to the point where it's like, all right, well, logic is man-made. So that's probably very arid. Um, 
and even beyond that though it's like well once you get into the ideas of logic mathematically which because there's kinds of logic so getting the, the mathematical version of it it's like well that's just basically only existing in our time and space so once you hit like a, a freaking black hole it's like what lays beyond in a, another dimension because we know that you know things change dimensionally right the way like angles are and just directional whatever so it's like well maybe then like i don't know if i just hmm and that's kind of started then i thought about it and realized like, okay well then if logic's man-made there's got to be something beyond that or it's you know not man-made which means someone made something made it and i get to the point of just thinking about it going like i really don't think that i'm right on this thing like i don't even know the bible really like I've read parts of it to, you know, as an atheist to try to confirm my own beliefs and, and confirmation bias. But it's like, I don't think I really ever actually challenged myself with this thing. So I started to, and that's when I was just like, huh, yeah, I think I'm wrong. <laughs> I think, I think I'm way off in this entire process. And, uh, I listened to a few things. Um, and it was, it was actually, uh, Orthodox Christians, like, you know, talking about things spiritually in 2020 and it just started to make sense. And one of them was like, you know, the, how many lies are in the air and, you know, like the, the first two sins or the first two things that like really kind of separates whatever. Right. And that's like Lucifer's and eventually Satan's pride. And then also just like lies, the bother of lies. And I'm just like, yeah, I think we're under attack. And it's like, I have no idea, but that scares me. But if I know that I'm like this tiny little tiny thing in creation, that's a terrifying thing. And so I was like, okay, well, I do believe evil is real now. Therefore God must exist. And I was like, oh my gosh, God must exist. <laughs> just at that point I was like, I've got a long way to go. <laughs> Dude, hat tip to you. So. That that is just an, a great testimony of just honesty and humility. And I really mean that. That's a oh, hard I'm Dude, sure it, oh, did. it sucked. It that <laughs> it because I that's you know, as I try to be a very logical person and rational, I try to do all those things. And once I hit those blocks and started swallowing my own, like, you know, whatever is I was like, shit. <laughs> like, you know, I am I am way off here. And I just, that's why I kind of went slowly as well. Cause it's like, I don't want to just, you know, trip and fall over everything. So like, I read a lot about not only like Christianity, but like religions and it was easy to do. So, you know, what I should go back to. Um, but yeah, that was that. Wow. That's, that's just a great testimony. And it is what I said to you at the beginning. It's amazing to me when I'm just the people I'm interacting with and just have the, the opportunity and blessing to interact with people like you and others, how that is the common thread ultimately. I mean, everybody is at one point or another, they're discovering evil exists. And it's like, well, if evil exists, there's, there's gotta be something else. And that's kind of where we, we arrive. Right. Yeah. And that's the hard thing too, is understanding what evil is. Um, you know, evil is not just violence, right? They're, I've been in combat and uh, I would never call the enemy evil because it's like, no, they were, they were fighting. They, we were fighting. I understand that. Um, it's when you started getting into the, I think, deeper levels of it, when it's like, oh, okay, this is going to destroy our society. That's going to make us walk into like all kinds of horrors and evils. It's like, that's evil. Like the movie, um, uh, I'm going to promote it if you don't mind. No. It's called um, Nefarious. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that movie? Yes, it's incredible. Uh, yeah. When I saw that, I took my kids to go see it too. And I was like, guys, you have to understand this movie, please. So I haven't bought it on Amazon. Um, like that to me is like, yeah, that's evil. It's like, it is long-term thinking. It's not just violence. It's not explosion, go boom. It's like, no, that's, that's human. That's errors. That's, you know, all, that's all kinds of things. But like evil is, a, I think a very, very deeper, it's, it's eternal. So you have to look at it as an eternal function, not just, you know, a tactical use, I guess. So. 
Yeah, that's very yeah. true. I, I just this is amazing too because God is really calling those that will listen and and the thing is that the great thing is that as people listen like yourself, it's the backgrounds and the paths that people have taken that give you a greater and deeper appreciation for where we are in this world and what the power of His Word is. I just think that's incredible, and just to continue to witness that. So wonderful testimony, Aaron. Let's talk a little bit about the vetting process that you were talking about. Is it, yes, this is a big one. This is my bread and butter too. So again, I I joined DHS um, basically at the CBP. I was, I was the whole entire time, even before CBP, I was at a thing called the National Targeting Center for Passengers, and that's where basically all the manifests of flights inbound in the country they receive, and even also border crossings on land and seaports. But it's of course mostly air traffic, right? So like they know everyone who's coming in. Like no one just no one slips in the country, even way back in 2012. They might not do very well, but they've got data on it all. And in the time that we were doing this vetting, it was a new program and we were setting it up basically. So we had to go through and look at, okay, like we received the, you know, the passenger's information, right? Cool. So how do we vet it? What do we, what do we look at? So, okay. It's like, well, obviously, you know, things that we collect on for intelligence information. So emails and phone numbers, bread and butter, because that's communications intelligence. And then you can like, yeah, then you can get into the guy's background. So like what his profession is, where he lived at. And then you basically, you know, try to square it with the person's own testimony of why he's coming here. So an easy one would be like a refugee, right? Like, oh, I'm a refugee in Iraq and I live in Baghdad. And if I don't leave this country, they're going to kill me. It's like, okay, well, who? And then they would say like, you know, Jaysh al-Mahdi. Okay, cool. Bam. Jaysh al-Mahdi. Jam. They are a terrorist organization. Sweet. So they're trying to kill you. Uh, where do you live? And it's nowhere near Jay Shalmati's operating environment. Okay, so where do you work? Nowhere near there. Why are they trying to kill you? Oh, my religion. But you're also Shia. It's like, this guy's probably lying. It's like, that doesn't, that doesn't make up. So that's like a, a vetting procedure when it's not just relying on cell phones and, you know, email addresses. So that's the part that I think gets lost because it's really easy to do just the simple searches and queries for like phone numbers and email addresses. Cause the easy one is, okay, what's the guy's phone number? You know, five, 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 one, two, three, four, right. Search that in a database. Like, oh yeah, this, this phone number was saved as like, uh, Mr. Al Qaeda in this other Al Qaeda's phone. Therefore they know each other both as terrorists. This guy's a terrorist, bad guy. Right. It's like, okay, but what if the guy didn't give us all his phone numbers to search? All of a sudden now, instead of just five, 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 one, two, three, four, he also has five, six, seven, eight. And it's like, okay, now we got a problem because he's not omitting everything to us. Therefore, we don't know everything true or not. So I think the vetting is very, very lazy because we have to accept their testimony. First off, it's valid and true. And second off, we have to accept it as these weird parameters that they put us in. So Understanding that part, I look at it in like kind of two perspectives. So in order to put somebody on the terrorist watch list, the, the TSDB, terrorist screening database, terror watch list, to put somebody on there, you have to have three categories of information. You have to have their biographical information. So Aaron Stevenson, you know, my birthday, um, where I was born, any other name I might go by, just, you know, biographical things about me. Then there's the biometric. So fingerprints, my iris scan, maybe a facial photograph, definitely, right? Um, there's other modalities that they put on there, but it's usually like those big three ones. And then you have to have the behavioral. Well, that's like the actual information that kind of matters more. So again, like 
you know, things that I've actually done or report information that would count as, you know, whatever. So if you need those things to put somebody on the watch list, if we're screening for bad guys that are bad guys, maybe we should take those three categories and look at it. Well, we do biometric right away. That's again, fingerprint, facial photograph, done. We do biographical with like passport data and the name and blah, 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 right? But when it comes to behavioral, we really don't squeeze anything out of that at all. And that's like our main problem, I think. We don't look at information. And so now fast forward to, in this, it's no longer September, 2012. It's now August, 2021. And Kabul's falling. By the way, so I was in Afghanistan in 10, 11, 12, and I was supporting special forces. And I made good friends in that community. And uh, I think it was mid-August of 2021, a buddy hit me up on Signal. And he's just like, no, hey, bro, like I'm about to put you into a chat. Send. It's always, I read that, I'm like, what are you talking about? Then I get a notification that says like, no, you've been invited into, and the channel was called uh, Neo, I think it was uh, Neo Part 2, which is non-combatant evacuation operation. And so I enter the channel and he tags me in a question saying, yo, Aaron, answer this. And it says something about like, you know, some kind of like immigration question. And I was like, okay, well, here's the answer. Send it. And then I, I went back to our in the one-on-one -on -one chat. I'm like, dude, what the hell is this thing? He's like, you know how Kabul is falling right now? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, we're pulling all our guys out of there. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, dude, all those sources, all the old Terps, all the old friendlies, like the known ones. It's like, they're stuck there. We're getting them out. And I was like, whew, like, okay, let's, let's see what's going on right now. So I stayed in that chat and I started helping out with questions. But for the next two weeks, I was in this thing and I kept getting pulled into new rooms, new rooms that are, again, all verified ex-team guys, ex-operator guys. Uh, it was pretty controlled pretty well. And in the time frame, I'm actually seeing what's going on in Afghanistan because this is the whole, what's called the digital Dunkirk. And to clarify, this is not Pineapple Express. There's many different teams that were trying to do things. But one, you know, some of the ones that were in were definitely trying to get like good, friendly people out of Afghanistan. And so I'm also now understanding that while looking at it on the back end of how many terrorists we brought in. So I see what's actually happening on the ground. I see the how we don't send out U.S. soldiers to go get Americans. I see how we worked with the Taliban to shut down certain gates, how we gave them exterior perimeter security, how we let them basically funnel those guys in to do the attack. Because that attack at Abu Gate, by the way, that killed the 12 Marines and a corpsman, that wasn't just like some suicide vest. You know, that thing killed 183 people not just the 13 that thing killed um, a lot. So that was probably more of like a homemade bomb, but also provided by small arms fire and neighboring buildings, which Taliban were controlling to ensure perimeter security, which I was really pissed off when I saw the Marine general say that they acted honorably. But um, so going back to uh, that process of watching them and how they're getting people in and blocking Americans out the vetting process. So again, these planes are stopping uh, somewhere else before America. So all U.S. bases and pretty much AFRICOM and UCOM. Um, so as uh, Rota, Spain, uh, somewhere in Germany, uh, I forgot the one in Italy, Vicenza, whatever it's called. It's a beautiful base. There's one in Italy. Then you got uh, Uzbekistan. Then the ones in Africa. Uh, there was a couple in Africa, but then you also had again like you know UAE, Qatar, other places. And they were, you know, they would dump the planes out and these people would land there and they were supposed to be vetted by CBP on the way in. And I'm not saying, by the way, CBP is like, like, it's not like they were given resources. They weren't given, you know, much whatever, but they also still were doing the vetting. So the problem is like, fine, well, if the resources suck and these guys are overwhelmed and even if not, not that good at it, then don't let them in. 
because we brought in a ton of watch terrorists. So they're coming in. And again, these are people with no identification cards. These are people with, you don't know their name. And Afghan namings are, by the way, very, very weird. And by the way, do you know how hard it is to transfer um, the name variants from like three different languages, like Pashto, Dari, whatever else, into English? Because Muhammad and Mohammed are different names. And which one did the CBP guy hear? It's just like, we, is that two ohms or one? Do you guys know how to do Boolean logic? You know, it's like, there, there's a whole bunch of things here, which is like, your job just got exponentially harder because of the saturation and the the urgency that the Biden administration put on these people. So basically, they were railroaded through. And I know that because, um, just one example, a terrorist lands inside of Washington, D.C. Uh, not Sorry, not D.C., but in Dulles, Virginia, which is like outside of D.C. Lands at Dulles International Airport. Bam, guys on the watch list. They were like, oh, shit, you know, they flew back to, I think, Roto, maybe Roto or somewhere else. A few days later, they take him off the watch list. Then they fly him back in America. Why? Like, just, just let that guy go home. Fuck that guy. Let, let that guy not come back in again. If we just expel one terrorist, it's better than none, I guess, right? But the majority of terrorists that came in weren't even watch listed at the time. They arrived to get offloaded at, you know, everywhere, Dulles, Philly, everywhere. Two weeks later, all of a sudden FBI goes like, oh yeah, by the way, that guy's a terrorist. Oh yeah, that guy's a terrorist. That guy's a terrorist. And these are not just like, you know, religious extremists that are pushing propaganda. These are group members. These are actual fighters. Plenty of these dudes are like what's called provide support, which like those are logistics guys, you know, the ones that actually do all the back channel stuff. Then you also got guys that are uh, categorized as category 15, which is tier one. They used arms and explosives. Like, not will use, they have already done so on the battle space in Afghanistan. It's like, the mount, again, like, they were at least, I think, there had been, I think it was around 50 or so, like, tier one level watch list that they brought in. Then there were all the people that they took off of the DOD biometric watch list, called the Buell. They took them off that thing, and I have no idea why. I used to work in that program at NGIC. And it's like, those things were for, 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 for security. Um, or, um, Force protection, sorry, for, yeah. And this whole idea was like, okay, well, we don't trust these guys, so don't let them on base. Or they were detained. Bam, don't let them on base. Don't give them training. Don't give them contract work in Afghanistan. But if you want to come to the country, we'll take you off that watch list, and then you can go work for mom and pop, small shop, Walmart, whatever. It's like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this thing? And that's why I was like, okay, well, I'm already under investigation. This is going to piss them off. But what's the right thing to do? Do I, you know, go back to the media or do I not? So I'm about to Veritas gave it to him. There's got to be, I mean, when, I mean, rephrase this. When, when you talk about these things being taken off these lists, this is no small effect. This is a very senior level access to take them off the list. Where is mm -hmm. that route? I mean, uh, everything you're describing is important, I think, for people to contextualize because we're not talking about pure evil at every level of our government. I'm sure there's some of it, but I mean, you're, you're talking about people that are, I would just say, trying to do their job, do it within, within the boundaries, but there's something much higher up that's opening these gaps and getting access to these programs. Yeah. So the, the, the Buell watches the program again, that's handled by national ground intelligence center NGIC. I used to, I used to work there as a contractor, not as a fed. Um, but it's mostly now a Fed program. It used to be heavy contractor because it was, you know, supporting the war back in 2010. Um, 
So they're the ones that manage that watch list. And that would be a communicate because that, that wouldn't be them going like, oh, these people are coming in now, take them off the watch list. No, no, they're being ordered to by somebody. I would say State Department, because even though that mission to remove people from Afghanistan during the fall, um, sorry, during the collapse, I should say, um, that was handled by uh, State Department. It's an NEO is a DOD operation, like literally like US, you know, code defining these things, but State Department was actually running the show. Um, so I'm pretty sure that State Department coordinated with DOD to, to have that happen because NGIC is a part of DOA, you know, so DOD or sorry, they're, they're part of DOA, part of the army. Um, so they were, they were told to by State Department, they had to have, I don't buy any other reason. I maybe DHS was like, Hey, you're going to make our vetting a nightmare. So just go ahead and like remove this shit right now. That's very possible. I would not put them beyond that. However, um, because it's that seems more political, I would say that State Department probably coordinated with NJIC to get these people all taken off the watch list. Just my take. And by the way, so even though there were around like 50 or so at least of like actual watch list of terrorists, I checked that out of a number of around like 600. I had a very small check of people that came in. There was around, I think, 85,000 came in. I, I checked less than 1,200 in total. And this one list of just like 600. That's where the 50 came from. So it's like, yeah, I could have just gotten a very bad part of that 600. And that was also in one time and space. I didn't check those things ever again. So how many more got put on? I have no idea. So when I say 50, it's a very, very probably low end estimate. I'd say it's at least three digits. But when it came to uh, this DOD watch list of, again, prior detainees or people that, this is my favorite one people like to hear about, um, interpreters that worked for DOD and they were fired by, so they were in Afghanistan, there were translators, interpreters working for some army or Marine unit, right? And it's like, oh, hey, yeah, we caught this guy take pictures of the, of the flight line. Or it's like, yeah, this guy, uh, you know, Ahmed, yeah, he actually had a classified map on him, so we fired him. Like, these are not just like dudes that like were like trying to have sex with chicks or like stealing, you know, food from the child hall. These are like, no, these are intelligence, like threats that actually could be a thing. And that's into the thousands of people that can't get removed from DOD biometric data watch list. This is no small number at all. Wow. And that's, again, why I say it, it's like, no, guys, like this is much bigger thing than we realize. So this is, I think it's easy to try to pass this off as like, mm, maybe there's some naive, uh, woke people that are just trying to make the world a better place. There's none of that fingerprint on this. I mean, if there's any sense someone higher up has to understand and does understand the consequences of what it is to bring this level of operator that hates America into these borders. Yeah, I would say the, the woke thing, and I'm sure there are some people that actually think that. However, the ones that truly think and believe that, that are doing it, not just trying to find an argument, I don't believe that's got to be a high number because those same people also think this country sucks or they hate it or this is a bad place to be. So it's like, no. Nah. And that's another problem too. It's not like they're in charge of where these people are getting resettled in the country. That's happening at a federal level, not being done by, you know, with involvement of, you know, some NGO NGO um, to do so on some like humanitarian level. So it's like, no, if, if you guys know that, like, what if they go to places that you think are full of like, just like white supremacists and like, you know, domestic terrorists, a bunch of J6ers. It's like, you don't know if they might land in, you know, the rural parts of like, I don't know, South Dakota. It's like, if you think that they're the extremists out there, You'd be worried about them. You want them all in New York City then, right? You want them all in San Fran, right? Why aren't they going there then? 
it's, it's happening at an organized level, which is weird. But yeah, I don't buy the 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 good-hearted woke people because they don't think there's many good places. It, it's, it doesn't make sense to me when you actually look into their their claims. Are you seeing a pattern of where they're being resettled, or is this seem to be a, a kind of seed even in rural communities where they can cause great damage? So uh, there is a pattern. Uh, but I don't know because I haven't looked into it. So the problem is, it's like, well, how can you make the assertion without evidence? Because the federal government's doing it. So but by default, there's an organization and a pattern involved somewhere. Um, how and why? I don't know. But I know that when did Obama do that uh, that housing thing where it talked about like that he rezoned basically America, which was like in so many certain areas of like parts of whatever you have to have this many like combined family housing and this many like you know shops and apartments above there. It's like, yeah, if they're at that level of planning, guys, there's fucking organizing where people go to. <laughs> it's like, you just have to accept that or be naive and, you know, man, you're open to, but that's, that's people. No, no, that's, that's, that's a good point. This is a, just, this is huge stuff. I mean, I, I know that um, you've taken a lot of risk coming out here and when you made that decision, talk about that process of the difficulty of being the whistleblower and having to stand up to, I mean, just pure evil. Um, okay, so, and I still carry the same, like, I guess, sentiment or perspective. Um, I, I truly do believe and know that this life is a vessel, right? This is this time on this on this creation. It's like it, it's not it. Like, I don't believe I am a body. I believe I have a body, and I'm going to eventually die one day, right? So it's now there's two things. One, what do I give my kids? So that's a whole different argument there too. But now let's go to the selfish argument. I'm going to die one day and God is going to either tell me you did a good job or no, you didn't. And I would like, and I'll settle for, you know, Jesus Christ telling me like, hey, you kind of sucked, but at least you tried. <laughs> like you weren't very effective, but you gave it your best. So I'm proud of you for that one. I'll take that as a win. Um, cause again, I think it's very simple. We either, we follow the commandments of Christ or we don't. So I'm not saying that like, you know, God wants whatever done with H1Bs. However, when there are things that are right and wrong and you know it, and you can, you know, just think about it. I think it's pretty easy what to do. And that was definitely, that was all though from 2020, because again, I was in Virginia at the time and I was actually coaching travel soccer, like youth travel soccer. So the teams I was coaching were about U14 and up. So like, seventh, eighth grade through high school. And, you know, throughout the, throughout the United States, it was different. Like these lockdown procedures were different. They weren't federal. I get it, whatever. In Virginia, these kids missed school from March, 2020 through like, I want to say up to May, 2021, like over a year. Now, some of these people I used to coach, they were like very smart kids, like very talented. Like, you know, they're good at soccer. They were athletic. They were also like really good at like STEM in school. Right. And I would talk to them and ask, you know, like some of these players, I'm like, hey, so like how's school been? Like, you know, you been a while, a couple months, right? Like how you, how you handle everything? These are smart kids that like were really ambitious. And now they're like, no, I don't give a shit anymore. Like, dude, I wake up and like, I just, my laptop, like people that telework at home, like, yeah, whatever, just, you know, keep it active. Teachers know you're there. Like this completely lost their will to be educated. That's young people. Like they should never, young people usually want to learn. Mm -hmm. Like I'm still that way. I, I like to learn things. That's a very natural thing. And government was just killing it off at crazy levels. And I know as Christians, we're supposed to be able to, you know, we're told we have to uh, forgive everybody. 
like I still struggle really badly with that one. I don't know if I can forgive society yet for what we've done because I don't think we've even seen the ramifications yet. I think it's just starting. All those players I coach also, and this is including my own children, they all know somebody that has like severe depression now or like self-harm, let alone, by the way, the number of people that have gotten, that died needlessly because of the vaccine or because of other measures, because like suicide and stuff. Like it, the, the numbers at the charts, everyone knows somebody that has lives been affected by that. Um, yeah, to me, it's, to me, it's, 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 it's hard to talk about, I guess. So yeah. that's why I, again, I can either be told by God, good job, or no, you didn't. I think it's, Aaron, I just really have to tip to you because that's not only the challenge of doing the whistleblower walk, but equally how you've found that connection with God and just doing the right thing. I think that message is one I just hope, I mean, obviously the audience is going to hear, but I really hope that there's others that listen to this that are in that place to do the right thing. I mean, hear your story and do the right thing. There is, it is not enough to be obedient to the laws that are corrupt. Yeah. And that's the, this, that's the hard part too is, and that's actually a big struggle, I think, especially with our government, because DHS specifically, because I was there for, you know, as a Fed for quite a while, it's it's a lot of veterans. DHS is actually very saturated with veterans. It's part of their hiring process. They prefer veterans, blah, blah, blah. Well, problem is, is like, yeah, that's also a culture, though, that you get a lot of people that do what they're told. At the end of the day, veterans all have that, you know, discipline, right? Well, it's also a very comfortable job. So when it pays well, when it's got great benefits... When it's kind of a joke anyways and it's not that stressful and it's really comfortable and you do what you're told you create an environment of they will you know they will do what's being done basically and um that's the sad part i think because it's i still say it's going to get worse like all these things um i've seen i mean i've seen like you know intel products on that side um come out of like state fusion centers in like ohio and like just their data on like one quarter of how many terrorists are in like parts of Ohio, it's like you're talking like 60 to 70 of just people that collect down within one quarter in Ohio of terrorists, foreign born terrorists. And it's just like, it, this is insane. It's like, how, how, why is someone not at the Ohio Fusion Center going like, holy shit, people need to know about this? It's like, no, I'll do my report that there was, you know, 63 this month. Here you go, director. Nothing happens. There's no plan for, you know, what it, there's very little red teaming going on at that, that department. Um, so to me, it's just like, I still think that we're nowhere near a lot of bad things yet. I would tend to agree. Aaron, how do people follow you, support you, however all that goes? Um, so f I'm, on, I'm on Twitter uh, at, or yeah, what is it? At called out DHS and put an underscore between each word. So called underscore out underscore DHS. Um, I'm also on Gab, but I don't do much stuff on Gab. If that's me enjoying Gab more, because I like Christian Torbo or um, Andrew Torbo's like very Christian idea of like mm -hmm. how to make the thing. That's just Aaron M. Stevenson. Um, I'm on both, but um, as far as supporting me, so I'm still okay right now. I'm not asking for money. If if it gets that route, I, I'm sure I'll whatever again. But I would say um, hey, give it to your church. I'm a big person of that. Uh, help out people locally because that's the most important thing. I think. But um, I would say the hardest part right now is is basically actually red teaming ourselves because like right now in this this if you want to even call it a political climate whatever it is, um, I, I just think it's a nightmare. I, I don't think that we my big thing right now is when I talk to people, I don't think we're talking about the problems yet. 
like everyone's got these solutions. They all want to talk about their solution, but it's like, yeah, but like, it, it, what's the problem then? Like, don't tell me the solution. I was asking, okay, so what's the problem? And it, it pitfalls, it, it hits major, major gaps. And I, I think we're nowhere near that part yet. We really need to start having the conversation of like, what are the problems? Because when you address root level, then you can go from there. Right? And that's, I, I carry that um, perspective even personally. Again, like 2020 happened, like, wow, man, there's a lot of bad shit going on. Why is that? There's a lot of lies, a lot of this, a lot of that. Okay, so what do they all have in common? Like, well, they're all godless. Okay, well, so am I. So what does that mean? Well, I don't even, if that's all lies, what do I know about myself? Start very root level, build your way up. We take time, but it's better to to be slow and not miss than to be fast and always missing, I guess. Because, I don't know, to me, I just, there's a lot of problems when it comes to that aspect as well. I think people don't understand that part, especially when it comes to the government. Um, I've heard way too many people. Can I, sorry, can I do two things real quick? Oh, sure, sure. All right, so I hear way too many people talk about like, you know, you know, they need to get Congress involved. It's like, nope, it's not the way government works, guys. It's like, it, you, what, so especially with, with child trafficking. It's like, okay, so what are they going to do? Make another new law that says don't sex traffic children? It's like, doesn't matter because that's not the way our government works. There's, you know, there's an imbalance of power where the executive branch has legislative authority. It's called administrative law. And that law can exist on the books as don't sex traffic children anymore. And yet they'll be hacked away by the state, by all the executive departments from DHS to HHS to everywhere else, where they can change definitions, they can change programs, they can change quotas, they can change numbers, all, all legally, all through the process. And it's not even an executive order, so no one really knows about it. And it's all public, but it's like, no, but we live busy lives and it's way too much information. That's one part of it. And the um, the other part I forgot, actually. Sorry, I, just, I was thinking about that and I always get like lost in my thought about administrative law. But yeah, basically, I, I do think, though, that we really need to start discussing the problems and identifying the problems, not just solutions. Because I don't, I we can get further than that one, but that's a whole different line of questioning. <laughs> Aaron, we always close with a prayer. And if it's okay, I'd like to do a prayer. Please. Father God, I just want to thank you again for just bringing yet another amazing voice here as you raise up the power of kingdom and the mighty warriors in this time. And Father, we're just reminded again how our pasts, however broken and variegated they are, when you call and we hear and we respond as Aaron has, we become powerful voices to bring the truth to the light and to literally raise up the many to make us greater in the body of Christ. We just ask and pray for the blessings to continue to flow on Aaron and his family, keeping them safe and strong and continue to raise his voice up to the many to inspire and to lead them in the glory of Christ. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. This is Thank this you. is an awesome interview. And I have so much respect for the path you've taken here. Um, just I want you to hear that. This is a, uh, it's hard what you've done and you've, you're, you're anchored solid, which just gives you that indomitable spirit now. And just want you to know that this show's open to you anytime. And uh, if there's anything we can do for you, I, I want you to reach out. Of course. Thank you. And thank you all listening. Have a blessed day, Aaron. Thank you very much. You as well. God bless. Well, Patriots, that was Aaron Stevenson, whistleblower for DHS. Just a powerful voice. And just a testimony alone of a person who was atheist and an analyst who went through the process in this whole process of telling truth to discover his relationship in Christ is profound. 
I would really encourage us all to continue to pray into that, that there are many more that will find that same experience. And it's, this is really in a testimony to how God is moving right now, raising up his warriors in the many different ways that we'll hear. And a reminder as well, just like we know from the story of Paul as he's called on, his, on the road to Damascus, that God calls those that we may not expect. But when he calls and he calls mightily and it's heard, powerful things happen. Well, patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs, and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country.
an old evil that has waited thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.